0: Hello and welcome to Policy Forum Pod, the podcast for all those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. I'm Martin Pearce. Policy Forum Pod is produced by policyforum.net and we're based at Crawford School of Public Policy, Asia and the Pacific's leading graduate policy school. If you're keen to build a career in public policy, then you should definitely consider studying with us. You can find out how to apply to our wide range of short courses and degrees at crawford.anu.edu.au forward slash study. Now, before we get started with this week's episode, in light of the COVID-19 outbreak, we would like to remind you that the Australian National University has indefinitely postponed any public events. And sadly, that includes our upcoming live podcast, Australia Ablaze, which was scheduled for the 24th of March. We're sorry to... Say that, we are very keen to get the ball rolling on this event once the coronavirus crisis has passed, but for now, we're sure you will understand that cancellation is in everyone's best interest, and meanwhile, we'll be trying our best to keep you up to date with facts and expert analysis on today's and tomorrow's policy issues. This week, we want to discuss the impacts of gambling disorders and how to tackle them. Advertising for gambling is omnipresent, particularly at sports events. Gambling in Australia is a significant public health issue. In 2017, a report by the Queensland state government found that Australians spent about $24 billion on gambling in a year. And it's not just financial losses that have a significant impact on the lives of Australians. According to research from Monash University, about 200,000 Australians have a high-level problem with gambling, and millions more are affected by gambling behaviour. A study published by the ANU Centre for Gambling Research this month shines a light on the experience of these people, particularly women, who have a partner or close family member with a gambling disorder – The researchers interviewed representatives from gambling support service providers and individuals affected by the gambling behaviour of a partner in order to better understand gambling-related mental and physical harms and identify barriers to them getting the support that they need. So today we want to ask, how can policymakers help to address the issues that arise for partners and family members of people with a gambling disorder. And I'm delighted to say we are joined by the two authors of that study with us in the studio today. First up is uh, Dr. Megan Whitty. Megan is a research fellow at the Centre for Gambling Research at the ANU College of Arts and Social Sciences. Hello, Megan. Hello. Thanks for joining us. And next to her is Dr. Marisa Patterson. Marisa is the Director of the Centre for Gambling Research. Hello, Marisa.
1: Hi, Martin. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much to both of you for joining us. When we talk about gambling problems in Australia, we often think of the huge financial losses and the underlying mental health issues that gamblers and their partners and close family members face. How much of an issue is gambling in Australia?
1: So increasingly over the years we have been conducting these uh, prevalence surveys um, in most jurisdictions across Australia. In fact, in every jurisdiction except for Western Australia which doesn't have poker machines. Um, So these prevalence surveys are conducted around about every four four or so years and they assess the level of gambling harm in our community. Um, And what we find... Almost across the board is around about 10% of the population experience some level of harm from gambling. And what we've found in recent survey in the ACT is a further 5% experience harm from a partner or loved one's gambling. So the numbers are pretty significant when you scale them and translate them to numbers of people and population. Um, But, yes, gambling is a substantial issue and has significant impacts across Australia.
0: So you said that's being looked at every sort of four years. What are the general trends that we're seeing in that?
1: I guess, again, to go back to the ACT gambling survey, which was conducted um, late last year. So we surveyed 10,000 ACT residents and um, I guess the trends that came to light were really this increase um, to online gambling, a consistent but with previous surveys but I guess – what isn't changing is the fact that men are highly engaged in gambling activity mm-hmm. and the sports betting, uh, which again, as you said, regarding the advertising, it's not really surprising that there's increased e- engagement and expenditure on sports betting in Australia. Um, so these are the types of things that we're seeing, I guess, you know, really present in our society at the moment. Um, I guess the other thing to consider is that we're shifting to, to rather than looking at problem gambling or gambling disorder, as you said, we're really looking at it from a public health perspective, which is to look at gambling harm in general. So you may go out one night drinking you've had a you know f- put too much on the casino table um you've spent too much you go home the next day you don't have money for um your bills um for that fortnight you can't pay your rent you have to manage your way through that fortnight we would consider that gambling harm so you may not have a gambling problem as such but you have experienced some harm from gambling so you have to work your way through that situation and you know, this is why we're, where we're trying to shift the perception that gambling disorder or is just this mental health problem that a very small percentage of people experience. There's actually a lot of broad ranging impacts from gambling on people.
2: In relation to the uh, the interviews themselves, there are other strong emotions that came out of it, not just. Feelings of frustration and and sadness, but also a real resilience, and also anger, like that came up. You mentioned before, Marissa, about um, advertising that invasive, um, yeah, ever-present um, trigger that was perceived to be a real invasion into the home, especially with people who might their partner might be engaging in that gambling product. So yeah, and there was a real sense of um, concern that the protective measures. Aren't keeping up um, with that level of pervasive um, online and advertising for gambling. I
0: mean, on that subject, Marissa, you said before about you know there is ab- advertising which is aimed at the individual. We hear all of these you know "gamble responsibly" uh, type ads, which always follow you know ads for online mm-hmm. bookmakers and things like that. Is what we're doing sufficient to change behaviour?
1: Absolutely not. So, uh, if we think about it in the context of uh, uh, cigarettes, for example, smoking, we it, it, you you can't smoke anywhere these days. Um, smoking advertising is banned off smor- sporting grounds um, and completely disassociated with sport in Australia. Yet with the gambling, we're going exactly the opposite direction and actually gambling threatens the integrity of sport. We're going to have so many issues in the future uh, with corruption in sport because of gambling. The other issue I would say is that we have seen – Systematic marketing at young males in particular over the last 10 years, you look at all the gambling advertising, it really is very blokey male, it ties into all the Aussie, you know, macho traits um, and it is it is it normalizing this. This is what men in Australia do. They gamble. they They watch sport and gamble. And I think what we're seeing through studies like the Gambling Survey and same in other states is that this advertising has actually been very successful. We have very high rates of young men under the age of 45 engaged in problematic gambling activity. And, you know, for example, in the ACT, if you are under the age of 45, you're male, you don't have a university degree, you have a one in five chance of having a gambling problem. So this is this is very high numbers and I think – the the issue comes in the regulation of gambling. So the advertising falls under federal level um, regulation and communications law, whereas um, the poker machines and casinos in our states are um, under state law. So I think that's where there has been a discrepancy and there's been a lag in um, Regulation of, of gambling. And I think the online world and the phones, like that's, that's evolved so quickly. The technology, um, that I think the federal government is struggling to keep up with all that. And how do you, you regulate that? Um, but in saying that, like you've got the sporting codes, uh, you know, accepting $60 million deals, um, just last week kind of thing for, for, um, a gambling advertising during the games and these are, you know, young kids today, it's completely normalized that um, you bet through sport, whereas we all grew up watching sport and, you know, you might have a bet on a horse race once a year, but that world has completely changed now. It is every, every sporting match and game is open to betting.
0: I mean, yeah, the, the sporting organisations themselves are addicted to gambling money. I'm obviously I'm from England. I'm a big fan of the Premier League, and something like 17 of the 20 teams in the Premier League have got some kind of betting company uh, sponsorship. You know, so how do you, how do you deal with a situation like that, where the where the sports organisations, sports bodies themselves, are so reliant on that gambling money?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, what well, I think. We need to remember that this reliance is very – they're not actually – Reliant. They're enjoying it. But this is a new thing. And this is, this is relatively recent, um, phenomenon. I mean, they've always had, you know, definitely alcohol sponsorship and cigarette sponsorship beforehand. But I think never before the money generated through, um, revenue from gambling is enormous through sport now. So I think we need to kind of contextualize it that it, it's not the reliance is not long term. So we can shift these things. And I think, where the problem's going to be is in the integrity of sport. Once that starts to be corrupted, people aren't going to like that anymore and that's when community pressure um and that's where I think community pressure is coming from families with children who are seeing they're seeing sport corrupted for their children. Um and so I think there is that pressure there but you know in Victoria a lot of the AFL teams um and the Victorian Responsible Gambling Foundation has worked hard to I think it's play um uh love the game not the odds. I think that's their campaign, and they've uh, worked with a lot of the um, AFL uh, clubs to shift away from poker machine um, revenue. But again, they've only been reliant on that for a, a relatively short amount of time, like twenty, well, probably less than twenty years. Whereas you look at the clubs in the ACT or New South Wales, have actually had poker machines for a really long time. So they they are quite reliant on pokies. Um, So working with these venues and working uh, with these sporting codes to uh, have other streams of revenue, I think, um, and that's where the AFL and NRL are really important, that they are the leaders in this, but they're not. They're they're the ones accepting all the money at the moment, but they need to be um, leading the way.
0: Now, your most recent study looks specifically at the impacts of gambling on women partners and close family members of people with a gambling disorder, how are women affected specifically?
1: So what we've found and what kind of led to this study and to frame it around women was that we found that Uh, previous research has sort of shown that the age group that's impacted by gambling harm from others is around about 18 to 44 year olds. Um, but also that women are more likely to be affected by a partner or loved one's gambling. So 58% it was in the recent survey of women reported experiencing. Um, from a partner's or family member's gambling. So I guess that's where we went to try to frame this research to understand broadly how it does impact partners and family members and that's, I guess, our starting point for this research.
2: Yeah, if I could just add to that. We um, we also discovered that um, women experience higher emotional impacts from a partner or family member's gambling and so this study focused on um, female-affected others because there's also, in the research, it, it suggests that a gendered approach to analysis might, is important and uh, when considering such harms. And, yeah, that's not to say that looking at men affected by a partner or wife or loved ones gambling is not equally as important and a valid yeah, research topic in itself.
0: Now, in 2017 to 2018, Australians spent about $1,300 per capita on gambling. Here's an excerpt from an interview that you put together from a woman who found out about her partner's gambling addiction.
2: Six weeks after our wedding, I found out that he'd stolen quite a significant amount of money from his mum and dad. Um, And I actually didn't know that he had a huge problem with gambling. And then it's one of those things where you feel like an idiot because you're like, oh, this makes so much more sense. Like... You know, paying me cash for staff, and just you know, not being able to make ends meet.
0: Megan, is the experience we just heard about there a common one amongst partners of people with a gambling addiction?
2: Yes, certainly. Um, financial harms were one of the first mentioned um, areas of difficulty that that the people that I spoke with uh, related to, and it was one of the three key harms that we looked at specifically for these animations. So. Um, one dealt with, yeah, financial harm, which was anything from credit card debt to the more sort of, um, intergenerational harms of, um, what's it called when? a parent losing all the,
1: you know, family finances, uh,
2: yeah, inheritance, inheritance disappearing sorry. and, and, and that sort of thing. And the other two were emotional, um, and like personal harms related to the affected other. So that was, yeah, mental health, um, and physical health. And, uh, the other was interpersonal harm, so relationship difficulties and, and conflict.
1: And I guess to add to that, one of the sort of key points and aspects of a gambling problem is that um, this financial harm can go unnoticed for a really long time. People cover up their losses and um, the impacts and can be quite deceptive about it for a very long time. So often their family member or partner only finds out when there's an absolute crisis, like the, yeah, house has been lost, the credit card debts are up of credit cards they never knew they had. And I think this is where a gambling problem really dif- differentiates from an alcohol or a drug problem where you may be able to identify someone as intoxicated or, um, you know, there's physical attributes often that come with being, um, you know, on drugs or, or, or um, drinking alcohol whereas with a gambling problem you can be you know present as entirely you know normal life and continue on your way um, without anybody noticing until um, it's a a real disaster for the family
2: and if I could just say that's a real um, observation that came through with the service providers Mm -hmm. that said that women who did seek help were often seeking it for the gambler themselves initially not realizing that there was help available for them and free financial services And also, that the financial harms lead into other harms, such as emotional and conflict in relationships. So they're all um, quite interconnected, overlapping, and it makes it, yeah, really complex issues to unpack.
1: Well, one of the sort of highest reported harms that came out of um, the ACT survey last year 61% of people reported an inability to trust the person. Um, So that's trust is key enormous attribute to a healthy relationship and um and one of the key kind of negative impacts of a gambling problem is is um, you know when you lose that trust of a loved one
0: so i want to turn a little to the mental health impact mm-hmm. on uh, these families which must be absolutely tremendous and in the following clip we hear from mothers who discuss how their husband's gambling behavior affects her family
2: he- at least try and call the kids at 8 o'clock every night in between his games. (laughs) And um, my oldest son would always go, are you winning, Dad? Middle one would not really say too much. To see the heartache that it causes not only me and my girls Mm -hmm. as they got older, but just to see, I suppose, the disappointment on his mum and dad's face. Mm -hmm. But then I could see the hurt with my mum and dad obviously trying to protect me, Mm -hmm. but then respecting me that I wanted to stay with him
0: all very difficult to listen to can you tell us a bit more about the mental harm that people suffer in these situations
2: yeah well i think as that clip demonstrated that it's not just the affected others that we were talking to who were relating their own um you know emotional distress and psychological issues but also their concerns for their children and their wider um, family networks, like in this case um, parents who were concerned for them. So I think women in particular um, really take on this caring and nurturing and protective role and that can p- place added pressure um, on these yeah, mental health issues trying to protect other people and cope themselves
1: yeah absolutely um uh, further to what Megan said that people often in this situation don't feel that they can seek help, so it's it it becomes all about getting the gambler to seek help um, but actually yeah the the emotional um, and relationship distress that these individuals are experiencing they really need help and support themselves. The other point I think would be interesting to make is that a lot of the kind of onus in the gambling advertising is really on gamble responsibi- uh, responsibly and, you know, we have responsible gambling codes of conduct, all these types of things which really are um, the onus is on the individual and um, particularly when we talk about gambling, you know, addiction and that, again, that's kind of very individualised way of understanding a gambling problem whereas what we're trying to do and what we hope through this research is to shift that thinking and actually go that this problem affects families and communities and we need to be starting to view this as a, a a broader problem and the impacts and the impacts on children and particularly through the advertising that we see on tv children are absolutely exposed it's normalized we go to clubs regularly in the act as families that's normalized um not that that's a bad thing to these are very social places but Um, through going to these venues, it does normalise the gambling behaviour that goes on for adults in these venues. So I think there's a lot of work to be done to shift the understandings to a broader family community context.
0: Now, one of the women that you interviewed talks about wanting to stay with their partner despite the uh, gambling issues that that she was facing. Let's hear what she had to say. I've certainly
2: got a lot of judgement from Family, friends, like you know, peers, like they judge you for for staying with someone who is an addict.
0: That must be a very difficult situation for someone to face. How does public reaction to that sort of decision impact women who have to make it?
2: Yeah, oh, hugely. And I think you can tell from that excerpt that, uh, and it wasn't just um, this one person. It came up quite a bit in these conversations. That that the, the, the f- Fear of how your actions would be perceived is a real barrier to, um, seeking services and, and seeking help from your, um, you know, internal networks. And it, it really, um, goes a long way to isolating the individual even more. And yeah, just the judgment, um, and that did come up surprisingly a little bit. And it, whether it's a real or perceived barrier for help seeking, thinking that professionals might say, Well, you know, you're silly to, or other people saying you're silly to stay with this um, partner. Another interesting thing that came out was this protective perception of the, their gambling partner. So, um, saying that they didn't fit this image of an addicted. Gambler, so there are a lot. They had a lot of other lovely qualities.
1: Yeah, it, I guess the um, you know, they might be a brilliant father, um, great work colleague, very constructive in their work and and every other aspect of their life. And there's this underlying behaviour and actions that are going on that undermine all that but yeah people don't necessarily know about it and I think that's where the kind of stigma attached um, and the perceptions that we have as a society of gambling problems um, is potentially really problematic.
0: These videos are incredibly informative, they're Mm -hmm. very short, they're easy to listen to, they're easy to digest and they are full of people talking about their lived experiences of that. Can you tell us a little about the process of putting them together?
2: We wanted that to be a really empowering process, and we found from evaluating the animations with the people who um, took part in creating them really achieved that, which we're quite proud of. Uh, We also wanted to um, capture the complexities of these issues and sort of translate that in, yeah, a really powerful way. We wanted the main motivation was to access other people that like they might be in a similar situation so we didn't just want to um expose you know the really uh, extreme versions of gambling but also those low what are they called low impact harms that um are maybe more pervasive and maybe easier for people to recognize and relate to
0: Was it difficult listening to the stories of people? As researchers, did you find that an emotional and difficult experience?
2: Certainly. Uh, I was uh, doing about five interviews a week and uh, someone always ended up (laughs) um, quite upset. And sometimes that was me too. But I think… Uh, there was a lot of relief from the participants just in being listened to in their um, feelings and experiences being validated as important. And yeah, I think it was a quite a cathartic process um, and, Uh, Very worthwhile research, um, that we got from service providers who took part too.
1: And this is, I think, one of the, my experiences of conducting gambling research over the years is that actually people really value an opportunity to tell their story. And I think, um, you know, this is where research can be really empowering, where yeah, people, you know, we sit there and listen. There's no judgment. We don't have to change the situation or, um, you know, we're just there to listen and, um, you know, report on on their experiences and and I think um I think people do appreciate the opportunity to participate in research and I think we are greatly appreciative of people who do appreciate uh, give their time to um contribute to projects like this because I think it's a very powerful message and you know we through this project have tried to look at different ways to disseminate and ha- you know have the research have impact in the community which is why we created the animations um, because often like a, a report that comes out, you know, most of the community don't read academic or government reports and so how do we make this information that we've collected accessible to the broader general public? And so that's what we really um, strive to do with this project and um Uh, The women who were involved um, gave permission for us to use their actual voices um, through the animations, which, again, just makes that uh, such a more powerful um, uh, product that we can produce at the end of the day.
0: Well, let's just take a quick breather here. We'll be back in a few seconds to look more closely at the barriers people face when seeking help and how policymakers can help to improve access to help for those affected by the gambling behavior of a partner. So we'll be right back. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Mark Kenny. Each week on the Democracy Sausage Pod, we serve up fresh media analysis of Australia's politics and policy, and chew the fat with some of the country's leading experts. It's the podcast for those who like sizzling scrutiny with just a touch of sauce. You can find Democracy Sausage on iTunes, Spotify or at policyforum.net slash podcasts. And welcome back. I'm still here with Dr. Marisa Patterson and Megan Witte. So let's turn to some of the barriers to seeking help for these types of issues. We've heard from you about the impact that gambling can have on partners and family members. Marisa, according to your report, about 15% of people who have been affected by someone else's gambling have sought help in the past 12 months, most commonly via internet search or the gambling helpline. What are some of the Barriers that people face when they're trying to get help.
1: I think uh, some of the barriers are that they don't see the help as available to them; they only view it as available to the gambler. And I think shifting that perception is really important. I guess you know, the accessibility of services and and what they do offer. We know that gamblers themselves will only, if they do ever seek help, which is, I think the stat is about 2% of um, those experiencing a gambling problem themselves will actually ever seek help. And most of them will only go for one, two, three at the most sessions with a, a counsellor. Um, so I think, again, we need to be thinking outside the box in how we understand how to work with people with gambling problems.
0: So when people do reach out for help, what are the most common reasons that they give for seeking that help? What point have have they reached in their lives?
2: The service providers report that it's usually at a crisis point. So it's when things have become unmanageable or at the point of discovery that, that there is a major gambling issue, that there is a big chunk of money missing, that, you know, something... Big has just occurred and it's a real desperate, yeah, move uh, rather than uh, sort of conscious I'm experiencing this. And I think that has a lot to do just going back to the barriers. It's stigma, which I found really interesting, is that is felt by the affected other, not beyond the person, you know, participating in gambling um, at these problematic levels. It's, yeah, felt by families, felt that it will reflect on not only their partner but them and their and their family in general and it's part of keeping it hidden keeping it um k- keeping up a you know appearances and that's a really tricky thing to deconstruct and to address in um awareness but i think that's key to facilitating um support for for people who are affected by someone else's gambling
0: now, obviously, it is a very personal problem, as you said it it affects you know the the gambler themselves but also their close family members. So what kind of help can these gambling help services actually provide women in this situation?
2: Well, the women that had sought help and reflected on that experience said that the the free financial services, which were really practical um, suggestions and steps that they could go towards protecting. Their, themselves financially, and uh, that was yeah one thing that kept coming up as being a real positive. Uh, one of the barriers is I don't have the problem. Why should I be speaking to someone about this? But it's that shift in the psychological services that are about you need to get help for yourself uh, to make you know you more resilient for your family, for yourself, for your own health, and yeah that was that's a bit of a shift in how and um, attitudes towards seeking help for this group. I
1: think too, that um, other research that we've conducted at the centre, um you know we really there's a lot of really constructive things that you can do as a couple or as an individual to reduce the impact of gambling, like for example, uh, what Megan was talking about about financial services. there's really kind of constructive steps in terms of controlling your money putting money into certain accounts only taking one a card or not taking a card just taking cash to a venue so you're not withdrawing um, so there you know what we've found in other research is that actually people work pretty hard to control their gambling and that this is actually quite a constructive thing so I think getting messages out there and getting understanding out there that it's okay to have that conversation with a partner, Or a family member about, well, how about you leave your card with me tonight? Take X amount of cash and you know, off you go. Have a good time. Like, you know, I think these are these, the more we talk about it, reduce the stigma, the more these kind of conversations that can be had in households. And then hopefully we can reduce harm.
0: We've talked already about the gambler anti gambling campaigns, mm-hmm. the sort of TV campaigns to gamble responsibly. And that, you know, comes from a push from policymakers and from po- politicians to be seen to be doing something about problem gambling. But are Australia's policymakers and politicians doing enough? Have they got enough of a focus on how gambling is affecting partners and families? No.
2: The response from the participants in this study would be. No, certainly not. Even the terminology responsible gambling, you know, some found was a real joke and um, we're talking about the pointy end people with really, uh, you know, the 5% or the people that are really experiencing harm from gambling and to put the onus on the individual to gamble responsibly just does not translate to their experience. I I think there needs to be more structured protective factors um, that – certainly should come at a policy level and uh, more responsibility, social responsibility from institutions like banks who are uh, to some extent personally I believe uh, exacerbate the problem for these people who are right at the pointy end of, of gambling harm.
0: Now we do need to draw this conversation to a close, but before I let you go, I wonder if I could pick your brains about one piece of advice that you might give to policymakers or politicians listening to this discussion about how best to support people with gambling addictions and their loved ones. What, if you, you know, if you had the minister in the room, what would you say to him?
1: I'd say be get talking to your constituents because I think um, and and vice versa for um, the community out there I think we really need to be having these conversations with politicians and with the policymakers about how gambling does impact and I think we're at a stage where for example in my community you've got three major clubs that you know each each year the you know 20 million dollars revenue you're looking at coming out of just one community in Canberra so and that's three clubs so it's about 60 million dollars So, you know, this is enormous and I think we do need to be having these conversations about what levels of harm and impacts are acceptable and I think, um, you know, this is the brilliant and fascinating thing about gambling is there's a lot of vested interests and governments do receive revenue from um, uh, gambling and – um, and that's pretty significant too. So these this reliance on the revenue is uh, a conversation that we do need to be having in our community.
2: And this study, the Gambling Support Study, really focused on um, experiences of harm and help-seeking attitudes and how support services can be better placed. But it would, co- it would save a lot of people a lot of heartache if we focused more on prevention and, um, you know, that that front end rather than supporting people when their lives have fallen apart from gambling.
0: Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for coming in and talking about your really important research. We'll leave a link to that on the show notes so people can find out more about it. But for now, thank you, Megan. And thank you, Marisa. Thank you
2: very much. Thank you, Mum.
0: To access the Gambling Support Study and the full videos from the pod today, visit the ANU Centre for Gambling Research website. We've included a link in the show notes. If you or anyone you know needs help, you can contact Lifeline, Gambling Help Online or Beyond Blue. Links and phone numbers for all three organisations are also in the show notes. Listeners, if you're keen to share your thoughts on this discussion with us or you want to make a suggestion on what we should cover next on the pod, please don't hesitate to let us know. Come and find us on Twitter where we are APPS Policy Forum, that's APPS Policy Forum, or send us a message, podcast at policyforum.net, or even better, join the pod squad on Facebook. You can find our presenters and our almost 500 engaged listeners there. Just type in policy forum pod into the search bar and hit the join button. We're looking forward to having you there. And if you want to get involved in developing policy to address the impact of gambling addiction, then you might want to check out Crawford School's Master of Health Policy. If you decide to join us at this program, you'll learn how to design equitable health policy in the public and non-government sectors in Australia, as well as in international settings. Find out more at crawford.anu.edu.au. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then don't forget to subscribe to us and maybe even leave us a review. We always love hearing from you. We're on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favourite shows from. We'll be back next week with another Policy Forum pod, but until then, from me, Martin Pierce, stay safe, look after yourself, and cheerio for now.